The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Welcome. Today, we will talk about the changing paradigm from climate change warrior to become effective peacemakers to save planet Earth from our destructive pollutions. And my guest today is Scott Brown. Scott is the author of a new book that hasn't quite come out yet. It's titled Active Peace, A Mindful Path to a Nonviolent World. Hello, Scott. Hello, Rob. It's good to be with you. (laughs) Hey, yeah. So um, where are you calling from? I am in Boulder, Colorado. Nice. I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, how is it there in uh, Boulder? We are uh, recovering from a blizzard we had yesterday, <laughs> and uh, we got about 16 inches of snow in Boulder, wet, heavy snow, power was out all over the place, but today it's back to being sunny and kind of typical Colorado weather. Wow. Yeah, we do get crazy weather these days, as we're going to talk a little bit about climate change as we get into this program. But, um, yeah, so let's get into this program. Um, uh, um, You've had a real, you've been all over the place doing environmental, you know, championing and worrying for improving the environment. And uh, and I just wanted to uh, talk about a couple of your experiences. The first one being, you know, early on uh, when you were um, working for Greenpeace. What and where was that? Yeah, right after getting my uh, my bachelor's degree, I got a job working for Greenpeace in Washington D.C. with the uh, Toxics Campaign. And after a couple of years in Washington, they uh, moved me down to the Atlanta field office, where I was the uh, Southeast Regional Toxics Campaigner, and we were heavily involved in um, trying to keep hazardous waste incinerators from being built. We were working on garbage incineration and working on the, uh, the pulp and paper industry, too. There was a, we had a big focus on chlorine and eliminating chlorine and all of the pollution that's associated with the dioxins and the furans and the PCBs. And so stopping incinerators was one of my big mandates uh, down in uh, working out of Atlanta. I worked Mm. a lot in Florida. Uh, Main places I worked on that were North Carolina and Florida, where there were large commercial hazardous waste incinerators proposed 
big multi-million dollar projects with, with a fair bit of local opposition, as you could imagine. So the locals must have been happy to have you come to town. Well, they were, and you know, part of the part of the context for me, relative to uh, to peacemaking and what we're what we're going to be talking about is, I um, I was pretty naive. I, I had no real self awareness. I didn't really have a grasp on the the larger context that I was operating in, and couldn't really see the big picture, and it. It made me very susceptible to feeling like a victim of the big bad corporations. And I also had the feeling that it was really largely up to me to save the world. And so that was the energy I brought to the work. And like everybody, I did the best I could with with what I had. But there's lots of interesting things that come to my mind now as I reflect on those years and that, that work that I did. Uh, down there. Mm. So how were you able to help them in uh, those states with the project? Uh, so you well, helped them I, be I, organized and uh, you, you gave them voice or? Yeah, they were already fairly organized. They they had done that yep. themselves. What I brought was the backing of a of a large environmental group that had a really strong research arm and um, so I, I brought a lot of um, technical knowledge about incinerators and the pollution that is associated with them. And oh, great. I, um, yeah, so that was all very helpful. And what I could have brought so is so much more of a... Uh, yeah. But they succeeded, they succeeded in uh, getting this information to decision makers, right? You help them get voice and 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 make clear the 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 rationale. That wasn't just an emotional response, it was a rational response why they shouldn't have incinerators or these terribly polluting stuff. Right? That's right. That was that was a That's big right. part so, of the work. So you didn't get yeah. fired by Greenpeace for not completing your work. You did do what you were told to do, but now you're telling us that uh it was not, um, it left a bad feeling, um, or what is it, a feeling of incompletion, I guess you're saying. And, well, uh, my, my, yeah, my sense of it is it was, it was just so, my, what I brought to the work was so much based on shaming and um, creating fear and intimidation in the decision makers, and it, it just really, kind of startles me now to think about all those years I spent um, with that kind of an approach to people that I I could have been trying to build a relationship with yeah. and trying to influence that way from yeah. a place of relationship as opposed to an outsider. And it it really boggles my mind that it you know it, it really didn't even occur to me to to approach governors and legislators that way. I was so instilled in an us versus them attitude and they were the they were the them and they they yeah, weren't an adversarial us. Relationship. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's an adversarial relationship where, you know, we are you know talking about fighting the good fight and, you know, we're battling with, you know, and yada yada and we get this this conflict ridden um 
paradigm. And so that, to me, is the climate change warrior. And, and then uh, you were telling me that you um, later on had work up in Nova Scotia. Um, and I understand you were working with moose there, and, uh, and, and the moose work helped open your eyes. So this, we're all on the edge of our seat now, is how moose can help change Scott Brown, you know. <laughs> but, what well, are you doing let me, let me before we go yeah. there, before we go oh, there, okay, let go me ahead. tell you a story. Let me tell you a story from Florida that really yeah, kind, yeah. Of, uh, kind, of, kind of brings it out. Um, I, one of the, the things that I did was I, um, I decided I was going to lobby the, uh, the state legislature. And so my way of doing that on this particular occasion was to crash a legislative meeting with a, uh, a fake backbone in a backpack and so I, I came in through the members-only door because word had gotten out that I was going to be trying to create trouble. So there was a lot of security around. I managed, I managed to elude them, come in through the members-only door, um, grab this uh, phony backbone out of my backpack, and started shouting at them to get a backbone. So literally oh trying to shame, literally trying to shame them into uh, getting a back, getting a backbone on this incinerator issue. So that's that's one example of how I was going about it back then. And that incinerator didn't get built, and I, I attribute that largely to the to the local vocal opposition to it. Um, and I almost feel like it it got stopped despite me, <laughs> because when somebody is that in your face, there's a real risk that they could have approved it just to just to get even with me. So that's I'm right. They don't want to do you any favors that. when you act like that. Yeah. No, they yeah, no they want, exactly. They're not going to want to do you any favors because exactly. you're just an outsider who's raving around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. One other one other example from my time working out of Atlanta, I was doing a debate with a um, represent a scientist from a pulp and paper company, and it was live cable TV. And this, these both of these stories are are in the book, and it, it kind of went as those things typically do. You know, we were both entrenched in our positions and trying to get the better of of each other and about two-thirds of the way through, I, I lost it. I just started yelling at this guy to stop lying to people. Stop lying to people. And uh, I said it about three times before the, the moderator looked at her uh, technical crew and, and uh, my microphone got cut and the show was over. And... Um, that was an example. It's one of the things I, I could have brought as a Greenpeace representative is a sense of being on the moral high ground. And that's something that I feel like I did not bring. I mean, I was a professional. I mean, I, I had my boundaries. But yeah, that, that debate is an example of, of when I, I really did kind of lose it and... And that's, that's yeah, kind of who I was at, at that point. I was, I thought it was my job to save the world in this, in this half hour debate with this guy. So there was a lot of pressure on me, 
And uh, when I realized I wasn't going to save the world in this half hour, I um, I went to some pretty extreme measures to try to get the best of them, and and I don't think it worked. I, I don't think that's no. I don't I don't think that's effective advocacy. Right. Well, certainly calling people liars is not effective advocacy, but. The legacy of Greenpeace is doing the kind of, you know, backbone threat in your face that, you know, Greenpeace got started by saying don't, you know, do nuclear testing on Bimini Island and, and uh, uh, or Bikini Island and, and uh, you know, by by just dramatic confrontation like that. And uh, so that, that the backbone is embarrassing, but it's it's one style of uh, eco-terrorism, I guess, and... Uh, and, and well, so I, I wouldn't now, call it eco-terrorism. Yeah. I, I, would, I would call it advocacy. And in those early days, when people weren't aware of the problem, I think that was, that was a really critical part of, of creating awareness, was to it really is, put it yourself out on the line. And, and, it, and I think it still is yeah. today. I also think it is that... Today. And I, 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 wait, Scott, I take your correction. I shouldn't have used the word terrorism. Um, I should say, like eco-confrontation or something. It's making a clear confrontation, but I, I didn't mean to infer, especially with what's happening in the world right now and stuff. So that's a good point. That, um, But there are different gradations of advocacy, and uh, and Greenpeace is famous, and, and God bless them for pushing that extreme end of it, um, because, as you say, there are times for that. Um, uh, is there more that you'd like to tell us about uh, your work with Greenpeace? Well, I was uh, I was with Greenpeace for about six years, and um, after that, I found myself uh, in Idaho, working with the Idaho Conservation League, and then I found myself in uh, Nova Scotia, in Canada, doing environmental ah. work there, and and that's really where I I kind of had an epiphany on my us versus them approach to the whole thing. I was. Working yeah, so a contract with yeah, that's good. Yeah, good. Go ahead. Yeah, with the uh, with the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, and I had written a proposal to do some work around the mainland moose population there, and I I was organizing a coalition of environmental groups to advocate for protecting habitat for the moose, and the, mm. the moose are were and probably still are uh, quite threatened there for a variety of reasons on the mainland of Nova Scotia. And the moose are important as what's called an umbrella species. So if you protect the moose habitat, you protect the habitat for a lot of other species. And so species like that are are sometimes called umbrella species. And... um, so I was organizing this coalition. There was about 20 local groups that were that were involved. And one day, a coalition partner, a woman who headed up one of these groups, approached me and asked me if uh, I thought it was a good idea to invite representatives from the province, from the state, from the provincial land management mm-hmm. agency, to be a part of our coalition. And with my us versus them mentality, I was I was shocked by that, and, and I wasn't prepared to uh, to agree to that. But what I realized was that there was something in her 
her approach to me around that that really planted a seed. And I, I think all the other work that I had done, and I suppose I had matured some over the years, and I was really ready to start to take in a message that we really are all in it together. And I believe that more firmly now than ever, that when so much has to change about the way we live our lives and structure our societies and make decisions, that there really there really is no room for us and them, that we are all in it together. So that was a turning point for me, that that interaction with that that woman. Um, it was an important That's moment. Really, yeah, yeah, and, and it makes sense that it would be around, um, you know, an animal habitat because, like a moose, uh, because we all care for, for wildlife. Like, we all love national parks. We all love parklands and wildlands and, and, and um, you know, and so there was some kind of disconnect that was preventing uh, the decision makers from making the right kind of decision. And so that was really good that, uh, it, that you were able to... Um, Start a dialogue with the, um, the 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 bureaucrat, you know, in, in a bilateral, essentially a bilateral meeting, and you didn't have to make that a whole big public affair. Um, that allowed, you know, um, probably allowed the definitely allowed the bureaucrat the ability to listen more closely to what your concerns were, and uh, you sounded like you guys were open to, um, you know, how to make it work with the bureaucrat. Yeah, I I didn't invite any of them to be directly in the coalition, but I'm I'm sure I had a I had a softer approach when I when I was talking to them, and there was something about being in Canada. Um, it, hmm. it felt like it felt like the activists were more relational and less confrontational there, and in a general way. And that that impacted me too. This sense that there there is a there is a different way to to do business. Yeah, there's there's kind of a respectfulness of one another, and it, it begins with just the courtesy, you know, of the little polite things that um, we kind of chuckle about, but they're kind of the glue that start the conversations. Yeah, and they've they've had some some incredible successes um, out in British Columbia with um, the forestry issue, broad, diverse groups of people coming together to, um, to create uh, management plans and best practices and uh, protected areas. And it's pretty inspiring to me what, what collaboration can really do. And just the the fact of having those relationships really creates all kinds of opportunities and ripple effects. And really what I, what I realize now is how much respect is really the basic building block. And when you're, when you're stuck in a us versus them mentality, you don't have respect. And so no. you, it's, not even, it's not even possible to build a meaningful relationship where there can be honesty and trust if there's if there's no respect that is so true uh, we're going to take a short break and come back uh, to talk with Scott Brown 
about moving away from being warriors and becoming more effective peacemakers. So we'll be right back in just a minute. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforocean.com. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hey, we're back with... Scott Brown, and Scott is an effective peacemaker, and he um, he's got a book out. And Scott, uh, how can people contact you uh, and find out more about your work and stuff? They can uh, contact me through the website. It's um, fouractivepeace.com. So the number number four, activepeace.com. 
Yes. That's a great site. I recommend it to people. There's a nice bio of Scott, and there's the introduction to your book and a and, uh, number of resources that we can have there. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of talking with you and looking at the site has given you a little bit of insights into what your book is about. Um, and, um, and in there, you, you talk about um, the belief in separateness. And, and tell us a bit about that. Well, the the backstory behind my my interest in that is during all those years as a professional campaigner, I asked myself, why are we doing this to our life support system? And I, I really wanted to know. And I I never got the answer to that until I started studying the roots of peace and Got a um, went through a master's degree program at Naropa University in eco-psychology, and that's where it really started to click for me that the, the root cause of not just our environmental crisis, but, but really our collective crisis as a whole, the social injustice, the violence, economic disparity, plus so much of our personal suffering, our insecurity um, is related to, directly related to the belief that we're separate. Meaning mm. that as, hum- as, as human beings, there's a, we have a belief, deeply held, largely unconscious belief that's a part of the worldview that we've inherited and been steeped in, that we're separate from each other that we're separate from the earth and other species, and that we're separate from God or spirit, whatever people call that ultimate source. That's really at the core of the world, the dominant worldview. And it applies to all of us, which is one of the the radical things about it. it. It's it's not another opportunity to uh, point the finger at other people as being unenlightened or ignorant. It really applies to all of us, and it's an incredibly deep wound. So the, the first part of the book is, is about kind of unpacking the belief in separateness, its origins, and its consequences. And the belief that we're separate from nature is, is one of the huge consequences and super relevant, of course, to our, our conversation today. Mm. I love the way you bring into, you know, you, you step away from nature into how we interact with each other and how that, you know, it, it seems like almost part of Americans' self-image is that, you know, we separated from Britain and we are independent people and Daniel Boone killed himself a bear or maybe those Davy Crockett or something, you know, there's all this huge independence, uh, which is also separateness of that, you know, we do all these things separate, uh, which is uh, a terrible belief system, I think, if it means you don't value, what's the alternative to belief in separateness? would be a belief in well, community? First, or? Yeah. Well, first let me say that I agree with what you said about the, the culture and this whole idea of the rugged individual, right? That's, yeah. that's, who, that's who we've modeled ourselves 
after. And the, the consequence of the belief in separateness is a, is a kind of insanity. And it is. The, and you, the see root, it in, you see it in like Lee Alacoco, you know, saving Chrysler. They say that this one guy saved American corporations. And CEOs think that they're individuals who are responsible for all this stuff when, you know, less like the founding of a nation. It wasn't just Daniel Boone, you know. It was, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, this is really interesting about being separate. Um, yeah, and, and the, now the, root meaning, the root meaning of the word insanity is not whole. And so it ah. totally fits. It totally fits with this belief in separation. We, it, it, it makes us not whole. If that is our belief and we, we act out and from that place of feeling separate. And the mm. other consequence of that, of the belief in separateness and the insanity, is violence. And I believe violence is really the core problem that we are confronted with. And so having that understanding uh, really allows us to appreciate the context in which we operate as, as activists and human beings, that there's this context that includes the worldview and the belief in separateness, that includes... This, this need to heal ourselves. Because, again, I want to say that we all are wounded by this belief in separateness. So, really, peace and disarmament and ending war, it starts, it really literally does start with each of us in our own psyches and in the way we show up for the world. Well, I'm still and catching up with I need to catch up a little bit here because I think you made a critical connection that I hadn't considered, which is violence comes out of separateness as opposed to saying, well, we're just a violent species. Um, you're saying that separateness means that we are not whole and that perhaps the violence is coming because we're not whole. Is that what you were saying? I, I believe the violence comes later in our evolution as a species once we, once we adopted the belief in separateness. So there, there's, right. there's, evidence to su- there's evidence to suggest that the earliest humans um, didn't go to war against each other, and, you know, that's a big topic. But um, I, I believe the belief in separateness is a huge... I mean, we know, we know that the first thing you have to do when you make war on a another people or another country is to make them other, right? Right. So you separate so, yourself yes. from the, your enemy or from your, the other. Wow. And, yeah. and Rob, when I, when I talk about the violence, I really mean violence on all kinds of levels. We, we weigh yeah, violence on ourselves on a regular basis, right? With negative self-talk and... Um, shaming ourselves and shooting ourselves, things we should do but we aren't. So there's that level. There's there's really subtle, so many subtle forms of violence that happen in in so many of our interpersonal relationships and even in our most intimate relationships. 
there's a there's a kind of separation and a and a kind of violence in play, and then of course there's you know there's the things we think about more readily about waging war against other countries and and that kind of violence. So yeah, I see the violence in so many places. In the uh, and then there's also the there's also that lack of respect the, you were talking about. So that yeah, in the separate in the, in, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just saying in the disparity between rich and poor, the economic disparity, that's violence. Um, Sex, sex, sexism, racism, that's violence. And that's all, that's all revolving around a belief in separateness. Wow. Um, So I I was saying that uh, you also mentioned that uh, respect, you know, it's difficult to have respect for others when you are, um, separate as well, so it it just exacerbates the distance between everybody. Um, yikes! Right. Yeah, um, and respect respect is so is so key, and respect starts with self respect. And healing healing the wound of of separateness starts with with our own us doing our own work of increasing our self awareness. Um, owning, owning our woundedness and our and our our wholeness. There's there's so many paradoxes in play, and one of the things I I would like to say about the book and my work and my message to activists is I really want to help people hold the paradox because it's so easy to look at the world through one lens or another. Either it's all awful, it's all destruction, or it's all beautiful and wonderful and it's all delight. But it's really, it's really both and everything in between. Uh, there's destruction and delight. And so that's something I was not doing early on in my activist career was was seeing the paradox and appreciating the paradox, appreciating that who and what I really am is, is this spiritual essence. And so there's a whole spiritual context here as well. And Well, one of the, the before state, we get into spiritual, yeah. hold on a sec. Um, what about the feeling of gratitude? I mean, I think that's part of being human, and I think that people who are never grateful for anything are very disappointed with everything and um, so is, is gratitude something that is is there like respect and it's, it's a way to uh, you know count your blessings or appreciate the little things it begins I would think with uh, you know some kind of feeling of gratitude gratitude is huge all of everything I've read over the years um, includes uh, gratitude as a super important practice. Gratitude is a practice. And right. the, the, the book is largely about practices because it's, ah. it's, one thing to, it's one thing to identify the belief in separateness as a root cause, but then, right. okay, what are you going to do with that knowledge? And the, the path of active peace, as I call it, the path of healing has so much to do with practice. Practicing 
being who we really want to be in relationships, practicing giving priority to relationships, practicing self-responsibility and self-care, um, so many levels to, to practice on. Mm-hmm. Practicing, practicing uh, seeing the paradox and um, practicing being able to bear witness to the destruction but also to, to be in the gratitude and to hold it all. There's so much to hold these days when there's yes. so much unraveling in the world and so much violence and so much suffering and all of the beauty and the wonder and the, the children being born into the world who are so incredibly innocent and the young people who so deserve a future and may not have one if we don't change in fundamental ways. There's so much to hold. And we can. We can hold it. Our hearts are, are huge, uh, especially when they're open. And um, so that's, that's kind of what the, yeah. the book and the work, work are pointing towards, is holding all of that. It's, the world is so not black and white. And it's time to no, really I, take that in. That's right. I, I keep a prayer on my uh, desk here that says, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Because we all want to save the world, and it's like really hard. So I've got to cut us off for a short break, and I'm talking to Scott Brown. I'll be right back after this. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, 
advisor. Please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, I'm talking with Scott Brown. And uh, we're talking about how um, that there's a separateness uh, among us and, and uh, as part of our makeup, and uh, it's coloring the way we, we interact, and it's uh, resulting in all kinds of problems that, um, that we might be able to get a handle on if we can recognize that. And, and Scott, what are some of the pathways to remedy uh, these beliefs, I guess? Yeah, well, just to be clear, the the separateness is a it's a belief, it's it's an illusion. It's we're really it's an illusion. not yeah. at all. You know, there's there's a way that we obviously have have separate bodies, and there is a kind of separateness in that way. But thinking about it more deeply in terms of how we really originate. Um, it's pretty clear to me and an awful lot of other people that um, that that is that separateness really is an illusion. And so, I like to I like the word interbeing as a way to describe that. I, I think it goes a little deeper than the words um, interrelatedness or interconnectedness. It it really it really points to how without the, for example, you know, without the sun and the rain and the soil and the insects of the soil, we wouldn't be here. We really arise, and, you know, this is the spiritual yeah. stuff again. We really okay. arise from, from a common ground, and it's in that way that we are we can really see most clearly that we're not separate. Um, we're, ob- we're, we're obviously interrelated and interconnected and all that, but it goes deeper than that when you're willing to, to look deeper than that, that there really is this ultimate oneness. And that understanding really opens up so much territory for the healing that, that I think wants to happen right now. And, Understanding the context is really key to, to having the incentive to want to set foot on the path. But once on the path, the, um, the four er- areas that I came across when mm-hmm. I 
started studying peacemaking, the first one was the self, the self peace, healing the relationship to self. So that's where increasing self-awareness and self-acceptance through mindfulness practices, through just slowing the mind down enough to really reconnect with myself, with ourselves. That's the first, um, Mm. that's the first found, that's the first foundation, I believe, on the path of active peace. And that taking that mindfulness then out into our relationship with the natural world allows us to begin to heal that aspect of ourselves. So healing the relationship to nature through nature-based practices, through time in nature, that really reconnects us in a deep way. So when when the belief in separateness is so deep and even unconscious in us, the only remedy is a lived experience, a felt experience of interbeing. And so that's why the practice and the experiential is so important. So with the, the foundations of mindfulness and the nature-based practices, we begin to get a real groundedness, a real yeah. sense of being, being okay in the world after all. That then sets the stage for the next area of healing, which is healing the inter- interpersonal relationships. And with that resilience that comes with those first two foundations, we can engage in the work of transforming our interpersonal relationships, which, as we all know, is pretty challenging territory. You know, we need to learn how to uh, handle conflict and not get our way, and we get challenged all the time in interpersonal relationships. So... In the book, I offer not only the practices around mindfulness and nature, being out in nature, but also some really real interpersonal skills and tools, which as I started training as a peacemaker, those were really the things that struck me the most. I thought, how in the world did I not learn this stuff sooner? Um, Because those... Learning those skills just changed everything for me and and really allows for a much greater degree of of ease and happiness and intimacy and relationships and all of these really basic needs. And then, Rob, the, the fourth area that I outline in the book is healing the relationship to the world through... Uh, what I call in the book restorative activism. So an approach to activism that heals not only the the outer world, the systems, but also the activist uh, himself or herself. It, it appreciates that it's, uh, it's ultimately an inside job, this work of uh, healing the world and transforming our society and so I, I kind of brought all my peacemaking work full circle back to the activism work with a, a new mindset around it. And uh, that's been super satisfying to present that more peaceful approach. And it's, it's not a soft approach. You can, you can still be a, 
you know, there's a way, maybe somewhat paradoxical, but, you know, there's ways that we can be peaceful warriors and spiritual warriors. Um, you know, Gandhi and King, I mean, they were, they were out there in a, such a strong way that it's pretty easy to think of them as, as warrior-like in their fearlessness and their courage, but they were grounded in peace. They were grounded in a, in a something that was much larger than themselves, much larger than their egos. And that's ultimately what the path of active peace is about, too, because all of those practice areas that I mentioned, the mindfulness, the nature-based practice, the interpersonal skills, all of that takes us outside of and beyond ourselves. So, yeah, that's, it's... That's uh, important because yeah. you, started, you started losing me when you mentioned King and... Um, you know, Gandhi, because we, we're not King and Gandhi. We never will be. But um, you, you're providing touchstones for how we can be more interbeing people. And by just being more present and more aware and more, more appreciative of one another and nature, um, it helps us to, uh, to get perspective, perhaps, on uh, how we can find solutions to these things. And... Um, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, ultimately, we want to, uh, you know, uh, find ways to improve our, our, the situation, uh, you know, increase the goodness, the good stuff. And I, right. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I like, to, I like to think about it in terms of what, what does the world really need right now when so much is threatened, so much obviously isn't working, so much needs to be changed. Um, does the world need angry activists or does it need peaceful activists? And don't get me wrong, when we're, when we're angry, I think we need to let ourselves be angry. Uh, we don't have to, we don't have to right. hurt other people in, in the process of that. But what, what is so important is to be real, to be honest. Right. With, with what's really happening for us. And if we're, if we're in, in anger, then that's a perfectly human emotion. The problem is getting stuck there um, because ultimately our effectiveness is limited when we're, when we're stuck in anger. We, we lose perspective. We lose that respect and that ability to, to um, give priority to relationships when we're in that place. Um, hmm. It's uh, tricky because there's personal anger, and then there's anger to get you know the climate change reversed or something. And uh, and being angry at an individual is can be counterproductive. But um, really wanting um, positive change is an appropriate kind of anger, I guess. Well, what what the book really drives at, and what the the path that I outlined drives at, is getting to the the love that is really the source of our our care and our passion. So many actors love, think yeah. that it's they think that it's anger that drives them, and that they need their anger, and that's just not true. What what drives right. us as activists ultimately is our care and our love and our our huge hearts, 
And so when we move in the world and engage from that place of love and self-connection, self-connected to that care, it, it changes so much in the way we approach things. We may still do a lot of the same things in our activism, but we're going to do yeah. it with a different energy. And it's going it's to have, have more impact because it's, it's yes. truer. It's truer. So I was going to ask you, why should people buy your book? And I think you just answered the question. <laughs> but why, why should we buy your book? We're running out of time. I'm going to read a summary and stuff. Okay, well... Um, or, um, or what's the takeaway? I, I, believe, I, I, believe, I believe violence is the core problem, and peace is, is the remedy to that problem. And yes. the, the book is a guide to um, the peacemaker's path, and I think, the, uh, I think peacemaking is the great work of our time, and the book tries to be a guide to that and support for that. And um, that would be my response to the question. Fabulous. Uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, go into some of the details. Um, the specifics are things we can relate to um, and, and, you know, break it out. Oh, well, what are the, the four phases, again, you were saying? Healing the relationship to self through mindfulness practices, increasing our self-awareness, yeah. in other words, healing the relationship to nature through nature-based practices, healing the relationship, healing interpersonal relationships through interpersonal skills and tools, and then uh, the restorative activism. Yes. Well, I highly recommend all activists get your book and, and, uh, if you don't, if you're a slow reader, then read the restoring activists at the end quick. You know, <laughs> get our act together and stuff. Well, um, you, if you only stop. we could. So the yeah. the we we can't just wish wish ourselves to be different. We really have to do the work. And um, and the first part of the book kind of outlines the context and sets the stage. And it it is it does it's a path. And um, oh, there's no shortcut. <laughs> There's no sorry. Oh, I wanted an app. I know. I wanted a computer app. I could know. <laughs> Thank you. I know. Yeah. We want the Go course. Tell us again. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. do we have uh, do we have a, a, a little more time? Yes. So I would just as a as a way to close, Robert. I'm just really yeah, feeling one how. Go ahead. I'm feeling how what we're confronted with is really a collective rite of passage. And there's, a, mm. there's an opportunity in the crisis to find out who we really are and, and what we really need. So, you know, again, it's, it's paradoxical. Uh, there's an yes. opportunity here. And yes, there's opportunity. Yeah. And the, the path of active peace really supports us in the ability to bear witness to injustice and suffering but also to be in the joy and be in the gratitude and celebrate every day as a, of life as a miracle. And that, to me, is the beauty of it. Um, it supports us in our, our emotional and spiritual maturity. And I know just from my own 
experience with it, it's, it's made me so much happier and um, open-hearted. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Scott Brown has been talking with us, and um, I want to um, thank you for talking with us, and thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Until next time, take care. Take care of planet Earth. Bye. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Yeah.